This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets set off on their first mission to the planet Mars, where Rizzo and the Martians were losing their water supply and the well of being had been sealed up. While there, the cadets discovered the Tylons, an intelligent species of little metal triangles that took the form of virtually anything. Hovering bikes, floating market stands, eyeglasses, you name it. As it turns out, the Tylons had betrayed the Martians and were sealing off their water supply and keeping them in the dark about it. 
Dallas, who was feeling homesick for his beachy farmer life in California, was gifted a metal surfboard by a little Martian girl. He used the board to surf the sandy dunes until he jumped a cliff and punctured the well with his board. Using all his strength, he pried it loose and the water came gushing out. Dallas's surfing skills had saved the day. But as soon as the cadets started to figure out that the Tylons were responsible for sealing up the water, Dallas's board, which turned out to be made of the tricky Tylons, trapped him and zipped him off to a mothership hovering above the planet. Doug and the cadets followed Dallas's trail to the ship and must find a way to get him back. And now for episode four, Comet Get'em. Dallas slowly awoke from a deep sleep. His head throbbed with pain and the sounds around him echoed in his ears. The smell of wet earth filled the air. With every blink, his vision became clearer until the room around him came into sharp focus. He looked around at his prison cell, a barred room that looked as though it was made of a strong, thick clay, a wet mud-like material that formed the walls, floors, and bars that kept him caged like an animal. He tried to move, but couldn't. He was tied down to a clay chair and held to it by a clay handcuffs. What is this place? Dallas wondered. Outside his cell was a wet clay hallway whose barreled ceilings were lined with rusty pipes and bundled tubes of wire. Despite the obvious misfortune of being in a prison cell, the view wasn't half bad. Directly in front of his clay cage was a wide window that looked out over a landscape of gray, rocky cliffs. The serene view looked like a black-and-white photo taken of a rocky desert at night. At the sides of the window, he could see the curvature of the building he was in. It, too, was made of clay. A soft voice speaking gibberish made Dallas flinch. He looked at the cell next to him and saw a little orange blob of goo looking up at him. Dallas lifted his legs away from the creature and stared down at it in disgust. Goo! He looked at the blob's cell. It was covered in little orange splatter marks as if the thing had bounced all over the place and sneezed its goopity goo. Yuck, Dallas said, trying not to look the blob in the eyes. That's basically all it was. A creamy orange pile of slime with two bulging eyeballs that studied him like he was a new animal exhibit at the zoo. Unlike the zoo cage Dallas was in, the little creature's prison cell was made of glass walls, no doubt to keep it from simply slithering out between the bars. More gibberish emanated from the blob, making it jiggle and vibrate with every goofy-sounding word. Dallas shook his head. Dude, dude, stop. Does it look like I understand what you're saying right now? He gagged and looked away. Whoa, you're nasty, dude. No offense, it's just... Man, I'm still a little queasy, and looking at you is like looking into a used tissue, so I'm just going to look straight ahead. The little blob groaned and its big eyes scowled at him. Don't get offended, booger blob. I'm just trying to get my bearings here. The goop jolted at the glass between them and hit it hard, making a wide orange splatter spray the view between them. <laughs> Dallas nearly fell off his chair. Okay, okay, cool your muffins, little guy. I'll look at you. Dallas swallowed and tried to settle his stomach before turning and facing the thing. It looked up at him with eyes that didn't look amused. Dallas shuddered. It's not so bad once you get over the initial gag reflex. Let's try this again. My name's Dallas. What's yours? 
The blob vibrated and said something in its high-pitched gibberish and clicks. Dallas stared at it blankly. Yeah, um, I didn't get that. So how about I just call you Blobby or Blobbo? Maybe Blob Barker? Is that cool? Blobby rolled his eyes. Sweet, so where exactly are we? The blob started again with its gibberish, but the door at the end of the hall opened, and what stepped through made Dallas gag even more than the guck sitting next to him. Two guards marched towards his cell. Their skin was a wet orangish pink that looked as smooth and soft as marble. Their hair was black, wet, and neat, and they wore shiny jumpsuits that Dallas immediately recognized as being made from the triangle metal tylons from Mars. When they moved, there was an unusual stutter to their flow of motion, as if they were living, breathing claymation characters. They stopped in front of Dallas's cell. The one with long, greasy hair down its back spoke. He is ready to see you, he said before unlocking his cage. Back on the space train, Doug and Lydia were busy loading bags of sparkling stardust into the compressors to keep the engines running. They scooped the white snowy powder with shovels and threw it into a large black furnace. As every toss of dust hit the fire, it exploded into little bursts of color like a mini fireworks show. Pop, crack, sizzle, went the furnace. Whew, it's a good thing this looks so cool because I'm sweating like a pig said Doug, throwing in another shovelful. Lydia scooped the glittering powder. Yeah, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more if it didn't smell like rotten eggs. Doesn't it? said Doug. That's exactly what it smells like. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, you know, just in case it wasn't the dust. Lydia punched his arm. Give me a break. We've been in here smelling it for almost an hour. They sat down to take a break. Doug took a drink from his water bottle. Do you ever think, why us? said Lydia, sitting against the wall to face him. Doug swallowed. All the time. I know Goro said we were chosen for a reason, but I have yet to figure out what that reason is. Maybe because we're a bunch of gullible kids who will follow him around and do crazy stuff? I don't know. Lydia looked at him with a searching gaze, as if she was trying to read into his words. You don't have any ideas? Doug shrugged. No? Do you? Well, no, but there has to be something about us, right? He made you captain. You can't think of anything about yourself that'd make him choose you? Doug got uncomfortable. Lydia, I know you wanted to be captain, and I... That's not what I'm saying, Lydia interrupted. But yeah, I did. I'm still getting used to that. Basically, what I'm trying to say is... Are you sure there isn't something about you that makes you different from other people? You know, like, special? She watched him intently, almost hoping for him to confess something. Doug thought hard about himself. Why did Goro choose me? He thought. Sure, I can build stuff, but Captain? Do I have any qualities that would qualify me for such a title? He looked back at Lydia and shrugged. I've got nothing. Lydia smiled, but there was a hint of disappointment in her eyes. I wouldn't say that, she said. I couldn't save Dallas, and it was him that opened the well, not me. They should have made him the captain. I should be the janitor around here. 
Doug, it was you who figured out that the Tylons were the problem. Had you not figured that out, we wouldn't be following close behind and trying to rescue him. For what it's worth, I think Goro didn't make a bad choice. Not the best choice. She smiled and gave him an elbow. Doug blushed a little. Thanks, he said. Dreamy, isn't it? Came a voice in the doorway. Doug and Lydia turned to see Goro standing there with a big smile on his mouth's display screen. He pointed to the furnace. The burning stardust. Isn't it beautiful? Doug and Lydia looked at each other, letting out a relieved chuckle. It's everything you said it'd be, said Lydia. I knew it would be, said Goro. The furnace room never disappoints. I could see the fireworks from the other end of the hall. He looked at Doug and his golden metal mustache curled up as he winked. We have a briefing in the planetarium. I'll see you two there, he said before turning and leaving. Back in the clay prison, Dallas's guards led him to a spacious room in a secluded area of the prison's east wing. The chambers were open and nearly empty, its walls curved up to the ceiling, and the far wall was one solid piece of curved glass that overlooked the rocky gray landscape. And Dallas thought he had a view. Around the room were clay sculptures of a man in various heroic poses. A clay door slid open near the glass window, and in walked a man dressed in a flashy Tylon jumpsuit and robe. Ribbons and medals adorned his shoulders and chest. As he approached, Dallas could see that his skin, too, was a perfect wet layer of orange, and his black hair slicked back tight against his scalp. He was handsome, but not in a traditional sense. He looked fabricated, fake, something meticulously crafted in a lab. The man waved the guards away with his ring-covered hand. I hope your accommodations haven't been too uncomfortable, said the man in a sly tone. I made sure you had one of the biggest windows in the house so you can look over this marvelous comet and the unparalleled design of my new station. Amazing, isn't it? I have to say, I've truly outdone myself this time. Oh, where are my manners? He stretched forth his delicate hand. Clay Bogan, at my service. Dallas raised an eyebrow. He looked around the room at the sculptures and recognized their faces. All of them were a tribute to this man before him. I guess I should be amazed with your greatness and how you've kept me caged like an animal, Dallas said sarcastically. I know, it's incredible, right? The whole surfboard capture was like, trap, zoom! Oh yes, yes, one of my personal mess. They say I have a knack for taking something one loves and twisting it to my designs. <sighs> you should have seen the people here watching it unfold. The applause was deafening. Literally, I had to reshape my ears because of it. <laughs> he trailed off, reliving the glorious moment. Dallas tilted his head. So, what am I doing here? Clay snapped. Mercy, have you no manners? My, you're a chatty one. Me, 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 me. Take a breath for once and give me a chance to talk, would you? Sucking up all the air. Dallas couldn't believe what he was hearing. Uh, I'm Dallas. Clay laughed, changing moods in the blink of an eye. I know who you are, child. <laughs> but you no doubt know a thing or two about me. Dallas frowned. No, actually, 
The answer is yes. I am made of what you would call clay back on Earth, or some rendition of it. Hence the flawless complexion and perfect jawline. See this? Yeah? Look at that angle right there. Mm. Anyway, I am the ruler of all claymen, along with many of the systems surrounding our pink planet, including Mars, which you and your little team so rudely interfered with. He pinched Dallas's cheek like he was his grandma. Dallas would have swatted his prissy little hand away if he wasn't handcuffed. Interfered with? You mean that we saved? Dallas corrected. Please, child, don't humor me. Unless I make a joke, then you are free to laugh uproariously. Everyone knows the Martians were getting too smart and powerful for their own good. They needed to be humbled. Psh, funny coming from you, Dallas mumbled. What's that? Nothing. Right. The Martians were starting to get so full of themselves, could you believe, they actually started taking down monuments of me. Sacrilege. <laughs> after all I've done for them. It was my Tylons, after all, that put them on the map. They'd be groveling in the dirt without my creations, so as soon as the prey stopped, so did the water. Glub, glub. <laughs> and then, of course, you arrived. Oh, I know this all seems like a lot, but I thought you'd appreciate witnessing my work here. He walked over to the massive window and pointed out to giant spherical bags around the clay space station. I've been using much of their water to build this. He gestured at the room. Those bags of water will keep this station functional for years. But now, thanks to you, I'll have to find an additional water supply elsewhere. Unfortunate, isn't it? He spoke through a smile, even when it didn't seem appropriate. Dallas didn't look impressed. It took almost all his energy not to zone out during Clay's rant. Why are you telling me all this? He asked. Clay grinned, making several perfect dimples crease in his smooth, wet cheeks. So you know what you're up against. I've been waiting a long time for the Wanderers to return. Not far off in pursuit, the space train soared through the stars. Inside, Doug, Lydia, and Leo were taking their seats in the planetarium, waiting for further instructions from Goro. Goro stood on his usual platform and turned on the dome screen above them. A massive floating rock with a glowing tail flashed onto the screen. This is a comet, Goro instructed. Comets are essentially dirty snowballs or icy dirt balls floating through space. As you might have guessed, they're made up of ice and rock. That tail you see there is a combination of gas and dust that spews debris off the comet as it comes closer to the sun in its orbit. It is believed that these celestial objects are what's left over from the formation of stars and planets billions of years ago, little icy chunks of history floating around the galaxy. Comets vary in size, but this one here, Clay's Comet, it is about six miles wide, and on its surface lives a self-centered maniac named Clay Bogan. The constant movement keeps Clay's operations on the move. Goro clicked his remote, and the picture changed to a glamour shot of Clay Bogan. Not because Goro thought highly of the man, but because no other kind of image of him existed. The man's face and grin were exaggerated and wacky, and there was something off about his appearance. What the... Is he wearing 30 pounds of makeup or something? Doug asked. Lydia laughed. Looks like someone took a little too long getting ready for prom. That's not makeup, 
corrected Goro. Although I'm sure if Clay knew of such a product, he would use it in excess. What you see there is his skin. Clay Bogan, like the rest of the Claymen, is made almost entirely of clay, or some form of it. He is holding Dallas captive in what appears to be his newly built space station here. He clicked the remote again and an image of the clay space station shone above them. It was a massive orangish-pink building in the shape of a horseshoe, and it sat right in the middle of an icy crater on the comet's surface. I will drop you off on the roof of the West Maintenance Wing, where you should be able to gain access unchallenged. I am almost certain Dallas will be held in the prison section of the station, which is located in the middle. Stay out of sight as you make your way there. Retrieve him and meet back at the drop-off point. The cadets looked at each other. Even Leo in his silence looked incredibly uneasy with the plan, if you could call it that. That's it? asked Lydia. Aren't you going to tell us how to get him out? Yeah, aren't you going to give us some blasters or something? said Doug. There've got to be a bunch of guards in there, right? Yes, there are guards, Goro admitted. But I will not be arming you with weapons, as that is not the space train cadet way, nor will you be needing them. You are already more than equipped with plenty of resources to get the job done, and I think you all know exactly what I mean. Doug had no idea what he meant. Confused, he looked at Lydia, and she seemed to know what he meant, but was uncomfortable with his mention of it. And Leo nodded as if agreeing with him. Was he missing something? Doug almost spoke up to challenge the notion and push for more clarity, but Goro continued. Glad that's settled. I'm not about to hand a bunch of dangerous blasters to a group of juveniles. I know this is hard to believe, but this isn't a video game. You don't level up, you don't get redos, and if you pull a trigger, real things start blowing up. Sorry, I prefer to keep you alive for at least a couple more missions. The cadets raised their eyebrows. Kidding, Goro added. Now to the exit bay. Your suits are waiting for you. Off in the Comet space station, Clay was escorting Dallas back to his cell. As they passed through the Clay halls, Dallas noticed dozens of showers cut into the walls. He thought it odd seeing such a private feature out in the open for all to see. Who would shower in the middle of a busy walkway? Obviously, it wasn't weird for Clay, who strutted down the halls like he was modeling on a catwalk. It seemed at every turn there was a guard who stopped, stood, and slow-clapped for the man. Each standing ovation made Clay puff his chest out a little more. So you call yourselves cadets now, do you? Clay asked. Dallas looked straight ahead as they walked. I guess. We've only been together for one mission, and that's what Goro calls us. Clay beamed. Oh, Goro's still around, is he? Oh, that old hunk of rust won't quit. Oh, he's not only got you running around doing his dirty work, but he's changed your title. Cadets. Blah. You're no military operation. Come on, what sort of missions is he sending you on? I don't know, Dallas answered. He has us helping people and stuff. Look, I didn't really sign up for all this. I was just minding my own business and found this ticket to board the space train in my room. Next thing I know, I'm surfing Mars and imprisoned by a muddy Kendall. They stopped in front of his cell. Clay opened the door and waited for Dallas to seat himself on the chair. Then he closed the door and leaned against the bars, looking him over. You really don't know who I am, do you? 
he said with a sense of bewilderment. Uh, should I? Never had Clay heard a more offensive sentence. Trying to rattle the insult out of his mind, he shook his head. Clay Bogan of the class of exiles? No, nothing? Dallas gave him a blank look. Clay shook his head again. Has Goro told you anything? Look at you, child. Following Goro blindly into the stars. He clicked his tongue. You don't even know who you are, wanderer. What's a wanderer? I'm looking at one. You're not the first crew to venture out on the space train, meddling in everyone's business and pretending to save the universe. I had high hopes for the next set of wanderers, and I must say, Dallas of Earth, you have disappointed me. Clay looked down at Dallas with pity, and then turned and exited through the thick door at the end of the hall. Dallas turned to the cell next to him. Blobby was jolting off the ground and splattering the glass wall closest to Clay's exit in a sign of disgust. After a few hard bounces and splatters, he stopped to catch his breath, his jelly body expanding with every inhale. I hear you, buddy. That guy's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, said Dallas. We're really in for it, Blobbert. This is more serious than I thought. You know how to get out of here? To Dallas's surprise, Blobby understood him and bent and jiggled into what looked like an affirmative nod. Doug and Lydia stood by the exit bay doors, finishing packing their supplies. Did you get to video chat with your parents? Lydia asked. I did, Doug replied, but I'm not going to lie, it was kind of weird. I think I know what you mean. Did your parents ask for any details about our science camp? Lydia shook her head. Nothing. They just asked if I was having fun and then gave me a bunch of boring updates on their trip to Disneyland. They went to Disneyland without you? Pretty messed up, huh? Totally. Lydia pulled out her supply bag and zipped it tight. The pathetic thing is, they're going by themselves. My dad's one of those weirdos that has every Disney song memorized and three sets of Mickey Mouse ears in his closet. Jeez, and your mom? She didn't know about it when she married him, so, you know, she's working with what she's got. Brutal. Yeah. Doug zipped up his pack. Well, my parents didn't ask any questions either. It was like they were avoiding the subject or something. So weird, said Lydia. Have you asked Leo about it? Did you see him talk to his parents? Doug shook his head. I haven't seen him video chat with them once. He always goes into the train rec room to mess around whenever we talk to our parents. Besides, it's not like he'd be able to tell me much. Leo walked into the room and smiled at them. You ready? Lydia asked him. Leo teetered his hand as if to say, kind of, sort of. Doug held his suit box up to his chest. Let's do it, he said. They pressed their boxes against their chest and instantly the suits shot out and engulfed them. Goro brought the space train up behind the comet so as to not call attention to their approach. The slick silver train waved in the dusty comet tail like a hand being held out of a moving car's window. With masterful precision, Goro skimmed close to the rocky surface until they crested over an icy peak where the clay space station came into view. 
Silently, he lowered the train just over the roof of the west wing. The exit bay doors opened and the cadets jumped out onto the wet clay roof. The sticky clay sunk into their boots' treads. Quickly, they climbed down the roof access shaft and into the maintenance room. The dark corridor was lit by red lights that illuminated the wet clay walls covered in rusty pipes and wires. Leo, Doug said, you try to find the control center. I'm sure we can't just stroll into the prison cells. So try to find the access door, hack into the system, and get it open for us. Leo smiled and gleefully twiddled his gloved fingers. Lydia, you go with him to make sure he's covered while he does his work. No way, bossy pants, Lydia protested. I want to go to the prison cell with you and get Dallas. Doug groaned. Fine. You go to the prison door and wait for Leo to get it open. I'll scout the area to see if I can find another way in. Okay, answered Lydia. But when will we know to meet back here? Doug raised an eyebrow. I'm sure this isn't going to go over quietly. You hear alarms or me screaming like a banshee, head back. Fair enough. The three of them split up. Leo crept down the halls, following Goro's instructions until he arrived at what appeared to be the control center. But of course, there was a clay man in full Tylon armor standing guard. Stuck in his usual silence, unable to call for help from the others, he waited, hoping the guard would have a small bladder or go on a break or something. Doug headed down past the living quarters and science labs, periodically ducking behind clay sculptures of clay bogan to avoid the passing guards. Ugh, he said to himself, seeing the orangish-pink people marching in stuttered claymation movements for the first time. They looked just as wacky as the Clay Bogan character Goro had shown them in the planetarium. Before he could sneak out from his hiding spot and continue down the hall, somewhere a timer clicked and an alarm sounded. He jumped back into the shadows. Were they discovered? he thought. There's no way Lydia had already gotten Dallas out. It's only been a few minutes. Like marching robots, hordes of claymen poured into the halls. Fully clothed, they stepped one by one into the carved shower grooves in the wall and held their arms at their sides. Once the alarm stopped, the showers kicked on. Water sprayed down over the claymen, refreshing their clay skin and giving it a new sheen. Little nozzles along the ceiling sprayed the clay walls with mist, making them as wet as a cave. Goro, what's happening? Doug whispered into his headset mic. Goro watched the scene unfold through the camera on Doug's helmet. It appears they are refinishing their clay skin. Yes, yes, this makes perfect sense. The clay men require water in order not to dry out. Without a constant wet down, I imagine they'll get chalky and hard. Immovable? Doug asked. Goro paused, catching on to Doug's idea. Immovable, he confirmed. Back at the control center, Leo watched as the guard in front of the door stepped away and stood in the shower. Knowing his time was surely limited, he ran through the door and headed straight for the controls. Like lightning, his fingers worked, bashing and tapping and sliding across blinking buttons and levers. His eyes scanned the endless lines of code scrolling down the monitors. By this point, Lydia had reached the prison door. She too watched as the guards stepped away to shower. At first startled by the alarm and sudden march, 
She was relieved to see the men leave their post. She ran up to the door and pulled on it as hard as she could. She yanked and pulled, but the thick clay door wouldn't budge. She paused and then closed her eyes, focusing hard on a burst of thought. In her mind's eye, she saw something happen. Amazed, she opened her eyes and looked through the window at Dallas. Whoa, she whispered and then turned and ran down the hall away from the door. On the other side, Dallas had looked up and saw Lydia's face in the window before she took off. Adrenaline pumped through his body and gave him a surge of hope and energy. Hey, Lydia! Lydia, in here! Yee-haw! he cheered. Looks like my ride's finally here, Blobby. Blobby bounced joyfully up and down like an excited puppy. Just then, the alarm fell silent and the showers and misters trickled off. Refreshed and dripping wet, the claymen stepped out of their shower stalls and back into the halls. Immediately, the three closest to the prison cell spotted Lydia bolting down the hall. Hey, you! they shouted. They held out their dapper zappers, stylish pink weapons, and then charged after her, leaving only a few to guard the door. Before Lydia could make it to the end of the hall, they were on her. Let go of me! she yelled. But it was no use. In seconds, she was clay-cuffed and surrounded by seven claymen. A sneaky smirk crossed her face. At the control center, Leo could hear the guard returning from his shower. Filled with panic, his fingers worked even faster. Finally, at long last, the line of code he'd been looking for popped onto the screen. What the? How did you? came the voice of the guard behind him. Leo deleted half the code and typed in his hack. As soon as he hit the green button, the door to the prison cell slid open. With a sigh of relief, he turned and raised his hands in surrender. Dallas watched the door open. An overwhelming feeling of calmness came over him. Not anger or terror or anxiety, but perfect serenity. And with it came weight. A familiar heaviness that filled his body. It started at his toes and poured into him until he felt he would sink through the clay floor. He let out a long breath and then clenching his fists, shattered the clay cuffs around his wrists. Heart thumping slowly and calmly, he stepped up to his cell's bars. With little effort, his solid, swollen arms pulled the bars apart like fresh taffy. Blobby's eyes bulged. Dallas turned to him and punched through the glass between him and the creature. Blobby's body turned red. He jumped into Dallas's open hand and jiggled in a demonstration of affection and gratitude. It chirped up at him. Let's blow this joint, said Dallas, stepping out of the prison with Blobby in hand. Seeing their prisoners flee, a couple claymen guards swarmed into the hall after him. Dallas threw Blobby at them, and in a blur, the gelatin creature bounced hard off their chests, making them drop to the ground covered in an orange splatter. After a few more ricochets off the wall, Blobby landed snugly back into Dallas's hand. Down the hall, Doug worked frantically to build something. He wasn't exactly sure what it was, only what he wanted it to do. With a few more twists and a hard pinch, the last part snapped into place. It looked like some sort of box connected to a sharp clamp. He studied it, and only then did he fully realize what he had created. He held it up to the overhead pipes, and judging by the rushing sound of liquid coming from the largest pipe, he could tell it was the main water supply that fed into the facility's showers. 
As soon as the clamp slid over the pipe, it clung to it like hungry jaws. With a few taps of a button, it squeezed tighter and tighter, until slowly choking off the flow of water. The alarm again sounded in the hallways, but this time, when the claymen scrambled to their showers, to their horror, nothing came out. Only a few were lucky to get a couple drops on the forehead. The misters in the ceiling sputtered and ran dry. Almost in unison, the claymen fell into a panic. Meanwhile, Clay Bogan was staring straight ahead. I needed to tell you how much I love you, he said with love-struck eyes. You are everything to me. All that matters. He stared at the mirror reflection of himself. Honestly, this mirror doesn't deserve you. He held up a little perfume bottle and sprayed his face with water. After a couple of soft squirts, he walked over and sat in front of an enormous potter's wheel. Sitting on a little stool, he slowly started to pump a pedal with his foot, making the disc that took up half the room turn. With the pull of a lever, a giant wet blob of clay dropped out of the ceiling and landed with a loud schlop onto the turning wheel. Clay stood and reached out his hand. His fingers caressed the spinning wet earth until it started to take form. The man sang to himself as he worked, Yes, perfect, perfect. You're going to be magnificent, aren't you? Yes, you are. Almost as magnificent as myself. Not quite, he sighed. <sighs> we'll make sure those wanderers never forget about Clay Bogan, will we? A voice sounded in the speaker above him. Lord Bogan, we have a situation, said the voice. In the background, Clay could hear the sounds of his panicked claymen. Leo and Doug met up in the hall and ran down the west wing to find Lydia. When they found her, she was kneeling, clay cuffed in front of several claymen who were frantically pressing the buttons around the showers. Their movements were growing slow and sluggish the drier they became. Only one was brave enough to stand watch over her. Took you guys long enough, Lydia said as they ran up to the chaotic scene. Where's Dallas? asked Doug. The second he finished his question, Dallas came walking around the corner, holding a blob of guck in his hand and smiling like he'd just gotten out of church. Well, howdy-do, gang, he said. They looked at him in shock. Dallas looked at the nervous clayman guarding Lydia. Oh, let me get that for you. He tossed Blobby at him, and to everyone's surprise, the blob blasted into the man's chest, making him fly back, covered in orange goo. That's Blobby, by the way, Dallas added. You can't have him, came a strained voice directly behind him. Dallas turned to see Clay Bogan, his skin starting to flake and crack with every passing moment. You came into my creation station, steal my pet, sabotage my operation, and now you think you're going to escape? He said, squinting his eyes and shaking his head at them. The clay walls around them were starting to crack. Deep crevices split up the walls and chunks of dry clay started to fall from the ceilings. Clay Bogan and his clay men could hardly move. Each step and reach was like pushing through quicksand. Clay's perfect complexion was now a chalky mess. 
You'll dread the day you came here, wanderers. This is only the beginning. You've stepped on the toes of the class of exiles for the last time. As Clay raised his angry finger at them, it stiffened. Then his face froze in its expression, and his whole body stood frozen in time like a stone statue. Likewise, the surrounding claymen hardened completely in their positions, dry as dirt. Lydia's cuffs crumbled into powder and she was free. Back to the train, Doug yelled over the rumble of the toppling station. He threw a suit box to Dallas, who slapped it against his chest the second he caught it. They ran through the collapsing halls of statues to the maintenance room and climbed up into the space train just in time before the roof beneath them gave way and crumbled down to the crater's surface. The second the exit bay doors closed, Goro hit the throttle and the train lifted off the crater and zoomed into the twinkling darkness of space. Inside, the group headed straight for the cockpit. When they got there, Goro hesitated before turning to face them. His expression looked nervous, assuming robots were capable of feeling such a thing. Dallas took off his helmet, Blobby resting on his shoulder. You've got a lot of explaining to do, he said. Ready for answers, the group took their seats in the cockpit around their robot conductor. You've been listening to Space Train, a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb, and thank you for listening.